if you want to grab a Bible, there are some on the ends of the rows. We put some out. Get it up on your phone, or if you've memorized it, just access your, your memory. A few people are pretending they, they've done that. So um, <laughs> that's good. Um, now, what I want to do is just draw three quick things out of this story, this chapter, and I'm going to go through the chapter a little bit. But the first thing I want to say, it's kind of like a big, uh, a big comment, really, on what it's like following um, God. When we, when we become Christians, when we say we're going Jesus' way, we're signing up for a wild journey. The journey is absolutely wild. It's not sort of a... It's wild. Did you get it? So I was gutted. I was in New Zealand, and uh, uh, over Christmas, my sabbatical, I wanted to take the boys to this water park where they had these amazing slides, because I went on this slide a few years ago, and it just looked fairly tame, pretty harmless. I went down this water slide. It was the wildest journey I've ever had. It was like I was upside down for some of it. Some of it was really fun. Some of it was I was like screaming with delight. Some of it I felt really claustrophobic, really frightened. Sometimes I felt confused. Sometimes I was like, this is brilliant. And that's what being a Christian's like. We've just been reminded of that through this series, that we're on this wild journey. The people of Israel were on this wild, wild journey. And, um, you know, when we catch up with them in chapter 16, they've been, you know the story, they've been in slavery in Egypt. Uh, God's called Moses. He doesn't think he's up to the job. He sort of leads them. God says, go and see Pharaoh. And he goes to see Pharaoh. It's a disaster. Uh, The conditions get worse. Uh, They don't get any straw. They're harshly treated. The people are like, what are you doing, Moses? You whatever. And... um, Basically, uh, eventually they cross the Red Sea and we're catching up with them. They've been in the desert about a month. So first one of chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim, came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So... They've had this extraordinary journey. They're on this wild journey. They have ups and downs. And when we catch up with them, they're not happy. They're just not happy following God and this joker Moses and his friend Aaron. Verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots and pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. You brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They're not happy. And it's like, great, thanks, God. Fantastic. And I don't know, I want to ask you at the beginning, how happy are you as you're following God? As you're on the wild journey of faith, how happy are you? Could I just grab some water? Thanks. Where are you up to with God? Excuse me a sec. They're not happy. They've had some good times. They've had some bad times. They've seen God do amazing things, the Red Sea but they're not happy at this point uh, in time. So that's the first thing. We're on this wild journey. The second thing I want to say as we delve into this is as we are on this wild journey, God promises to provide for us. 
God promises to uh, provide for us. The, the journey is wild, make no mistake. It will take you to the end of yourself. You'll have confusing times. You'll have times like you feel like giving up, times when you're really complaining to God, times when you see God do extraordinary things, when you are just, wow, on fire. Other times where you think, I couldn't, I've just got nothing in the tank. But God promises to provide for you. Uh, this is uh, actually chapter, uh, verses 4 to 15, verses um, 31 as, two, and, uh, as well. So I'm just going to read this. So, so let's just read this slowly and get about God's provision. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're pre- to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he's heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert. There was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the floor appeared on the desert floor. Extraordinary. And then what's that stuff? If you look at verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like water. Wafer, sorry, made uh, with honey. So the journey's wild, but God provides uh, for the people. Manna and quail. He's trustworthy. He, he, he comes through for us. Now, when I was um, 19, I went to climb Mount Kenya with a friend of mine called James. And it's quite, I didn't, we didn't realize, but it's full on. It's a wild place. James said to me, he'd booked the tickets, he'd done everything. And uh, I said, what can I do? He said, just get a tent, will you? And you bring the tent provide that and I'll, I'll do the rest. And he said, get some provisions, you know, for us to eat. And so I thought of Kendall mint cake and that sort of thing. But then on the way to the airport, I suddenly realized I haven't got the tent. I forgot the tent. And uh, so I ran into Millets. I don't even know whether it's still open, Millets. I ran in there. I said, have you just got a tent? They said, how much do you want to spend? I just said, it's a cheap tent. It's just a couple of nights. He gave me this thing. It's 25 quid. Perfect. Ran to the airport. So fast forward a week, we're on Mount Kenya, we needed crampons, you know, there's snow on the ground. James said, just, just let's set the tent up, we need to stay warm and just put it. I pulled out the tent and it was a, a My Little Pony kids tent. <laughs> we're like in the wilderness, uh, it's like, he said, did you get the provisions? I went, I didn't. He said, Mike, you're so unreliable. What are we going to do? But we often feel that with God, don't we? We feel he's a bit unreliable. Is he going to provide for us? Is he going to give us a, a My Little Pony tent? <laughs> it's like, and, 
You know, I don't know how the people of Israel feel about the provision, but I don't think they're that impressed. You, do, do you know what I mean? I don't think they're that impressed. Nowhere does this say, gosh, they went, wow, that's amazing. Or, gosh, can you believe it? Quite, you don't hear anything, but probably they're not that impressed. And at times, I've got to be honest, I'm just, it's a confessional this morning, I haven't been that impressed with God's provision in my life. I think, look, look, I've left my legal career. I've moved countries twice. I've moved 12,000 miles. And is that it? You've given me manna and quail, like some rice cakes and a, like a bony pigeon. Is that it? <laughs> How are you feeling about God's provision? I, I don't feel young, but I am young. You're right. Um, so are you with me? How are you feeling? How trustworthy is God for you? Because this is important as we think about giving. Because if we think, oh God, no, like manna and flipping rice cakes, you're not going to be very generous. Uh, do, do you know what I mean? You can feel hard done by. So that's the second thing. God does promise to provide for us. And uh, obviously, we live in a different time to the Israelites. We have Jesus as our provision. Jesus is our bread. And you know, that is extraordinary what we have. And uh, let's look at John 6. There should be a slide. This is linking where we are in Exodus with the life of Jesus. Have we got John chapter 6? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives the true bread from heaven. Notice that trend. The people of God are saying, oh, it's much better when Moses was alive. It was much better when we were in Egypt. Uh, and it was all Moses. Jesus said, no, 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 no. It wasn't Moses. It was God who provided. And for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus said this extraordinary thing. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's the bread. He's the new manna of the new covenant. Far, far superior to manna, quail, Moses, all these amazing things in the past. So how is your sense of God's provision in your own life? You know, how, how is it going? So we're on this wild journey. God provides for us on this journey. Finally, God calls us to provide for others on the journey. And you'll, we'll, we'll catch up with this. I don't want to steal the thunder of the next people speaking, but the Israelites, when they, when they get to the promised land, they're called to provide for people around them. And, and they have tithes. They give away 10% of their earnings. They have to do certain things with their crops, certain things with their animals. They have to look out for the poor and gleanings on the edge of fields. You know the story. So they're called to provide for others. And so I want to ask you this morning on this Gift Sunday, how is your providing for others going? How is your financial provision uh, for other people uh, going? And I want to acknowledge, I think, often when we think about money, when we talk about money, our own relationship with money can be a bit stressful. And it can feel a bit, oh, gosh, money and, I, you know, all the rest of it. And I just want to acknowledge that. And what I want to do is basically recognize that we can feel anxious about it. And uh, I read this book a few years ago. This is worth a read, I think, this book, by this woman called Lynn Wright. I'm hoping it's going to come up. I've forgotten the title, but it's something like The Soul of Money. <laughs> transforming your relationship with money. 
and life. For the last 40 years, Lynn, I've never met her, but she's worked with um, all sorts of people, helping them reflect on their relationship with money. And her basic theory is we often feel um, actually anxious about it. And she's worked with some of the richest families in the world to help them give money away. She's also worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta with some of the poorest people. She's into social justice. She's into environmental sustainability. And her basic theory is that often culturally, in our consumeristic society, we can actually end up feeling very anxious and stressed about money. And uh, she says we live in this toxic system which actually isn't good for us and doesn't help our generosity. And she says three things stop us from having a healthy relationship with money. And I just want to go through these quickly. The first toxic myth, she calls it, is there's not enough to go around. There's not enough money to go around. And she says that uh, people, lots of people believe that. There's not enough to go around. Everyone can't make it, so you just have to make sure it's you who's not the loser. You know, and yet we know. There's more than enough to go around in the world. There's more than enough food. There's more than enough money. There is enough. Um, but often we feel there isn't enough. And uh, the truth is, in the wilderness, the Israelites did get what they needed. If you look at verse 16 and 17, there was enough to go around. This is what the Lord commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they... Measured it by the Omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much uh, as they needed. God provided for 2.5, 2.4 million people in the desert uh, all those years ago, and they had what they needed. No refrigeration, no air drops, uh, no dehydrated food. God can provide, and he can provide uh, enough. And um, Lynn says, you know, when we feel uh, that we don't have enough, uh, actually, um, it actually really can um, make us quite um, frenzied. Have you, do you feel like you've got enough money and enough resources? Most people think they don't. And one of the person I met who was most paranoid about his money was a multimillionaire, good friend of mine. Islands, string of Porsches, cars, he, he was paranoid. I don't have enough. Are you with me? Are you enjoying this so far? Should we look at the toxic myth number two, just for a bit of fun? Here's the toxic myth number two. More is better. The more you have, the better it is. More possessions, better house, bigger house, better car, better marble in your kitchen, better holidays, better clothes, better shoes, better slippers, better Netflix subscription, better phone. It's just better. More is better. And she said, you know, the problem with that, that is a, a race without end, and it's a race without winners. It's never enough. And uh, Clive Hamilton, he's an Australian econom uh, economist, he wrote this book called Affluenza, When Too Much Is Never Enough. He says it's interesting. We think we've got everything in our, in our Western economies. He says, but actually, obesity is the highest, depression's the highest, anxiety's the highest it's ever been, there's more stress than there's ever been. Come on, guys, wake up and smell the coffee. And he says this about how we do life. It's this devastating thing, he says. In rich countries today, consumption consists of people spending money they don't have to buy goods they don't need to impress people they don't like. <laughs> and it's a bit funny, but there, there's something a bit painful in that as well. 
because we're all caught up. I'm caught up in this, you know. Um, you know, I want more. I want some stuff. I'm not, I'm not wildly materialistic, but I'm caught up in this. And uh, I do think more is better. And uh, he, he makes, uh, this guy, Clive, makes this comment about people and things. This is important. He says this. Problem is not that people own things, but that things own people. And I, I can say, yeah, I, yeah. I, I can see that. Who's in control? Me or my things? Who whispers loudly? Uh, God or my things? We get caught up in this stuff. So are you ready for um, the toxic myth three? Are you feeling like just punched in the stomach twice already? Let's do one to the face. No? <laughs> I'm only joking. Here we go. Here we go. Toxic myth three. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. So in other words, you know, yeah, we're in this, we're in this thing. There's a massive inequality. There's a massive rich-poor divide. Oh, yeah, yeah, possessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, it's not fair, but that's the way it is. So I'm just going to play the game can't do anything. Can't beat them, join them. And uh, actually, she said, these are myths. And um, she, uh, Lynn concludes, you know, it's interesting. People often espouse ideals, commitments, values. But actually, when you look at what they do with their money, they're very different to what they say their ideals, commitments, and values are. Uh, and there's no judgment in that. But she says, it's interesting. The, these things are powerful. These myths are very powerful. And they're obviously worth thinking about on this gift Sunday. So how do you respond? How do you respond? Well, I want to suggest you do a few things. First, as we live in this very loud, consumeristic, hedonistic, more is better uh, society, what do we do? Uh, first, we need to recognize what's at stake. And uh, the thing is, both these books, they're not saying, oh, people are horrible, and this is all terrible, and you must never have a holiday. Or a they're not saying that. Just saying, what's your relationship? And actually, if you get caught up in this, you actually don't live well. You'll never feel great. You'll never feel you have enough. You'll always feel hard done by, and you'll feel a bit miserable. But she says, you mustn't do that, because these things aren't true. And uh, she actually says, you know, you'll, if you make better choices in line with your values and your Christian worldview, this is what happens. This quote. Once we begin to align our money decisions with our deeper core values and higher commitments, we experienced a dramatic shift, not only in what we did with our money, but also in how we felt about our money, about our life, and about ourselves. Eventually, we came to know ourselves not for what we had or owned, but for what we give. Not for what we accumulated, but for what we allocated. I've never been to a funeral of you where someone says, you know, this person had this balance on their bank account. Did you know they had that car? They got a brand new, they always had the latest iPhone. They were amazing. And you know, they, they, they had all these holiday properties. It was extraordinary. <laughs> they were so brilliant. And, 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 you know, they had this really thick marble on their kitchen. I was jealous of them. And I admire them for that. <laughs> but we, we focus on all these things, completely irrelevant. Uh, the second thing, you've got to remember what God has done in Jesus. As Christians, we've got to remember what God has done in Jesus. And I'm just going to take a bit of time to do this. Toby said, can I be involved in your talk this morning? And I said, of course you can. So, Toby, let's give Toby a round of applause. Well done, Toby. So if you stand in the middle, Toby. So 
when you follow God, you know, when you come to faith, we often, I'm just going to read a few things out, we often forget this, but, you know, when, when Toby came to faith, he got a fresh start in life. It was like he was born uh, again. I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So Toby, ladies and gentlemen, actually got a fresh start from Jesus when he came to faith. That's amazing, that's a brilliant, that's an, a fresh start from Jesus. That's an amazing gift. Uh, you also got the opportunity to be friends with God. I call you uh, friends, not servants. Friendship with, with God. How much is that? I mean, how much? That's priceless, surely. So that's that, okay. Unicorn paper. You can do life with God. You see, Toby, you're not just here. You've got God himself living inside you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that is quite amazing. So that's that. And that's really incredible. You also uh, actually have got God's unconditional love. Uh, how deep the Father's love for you. And um, you, it's amazing. Are you, are you feeling it? Yeah? Now, I'm not going to go through all of this, um, but, you know, you've got all sorts of stuff. You've got God's um, protection uh, over your life. Uh, You've also, you've been able to join this church, like God's family. Oh, my gosh, what's that worth? And, um, you know, you're forgiven. Toby, you never have to feel guilty because you're forgiven, because Jesus has died on the cross for you. And actually, you know when you feel, I sometimes feel, oh, condemned, or I can't believe I've done that, a bit blemished. But you're, you're free from accusation, blameless and without blemish because of what Jesus uh, has done for you. And, and you're going to have eternal life. You're not going to be judged. Um, you're going to live with God in eternity, and you've got a great purpose for life. Are you glad you offered to help? So if you turn around, it's God's provision. And yeah, just drop it. None of it's breakable. I wrapped that all up last night in the early hours, so there you go. Now... I've got nothing. They've got more. I've got nothing to give. Have you lost sight of Jesus? Just the most priceless thing. So I think I'm going to stop. What's the fun? Oh, yeah, I forgot to say. So could you financially give some money to the church? I, I, I know... I know you do, I know you do, you're a generous bunch, but we don't do this very often, and um, I think Dan's going to come and tell us how we do that. Well done, Dan.